listening to Phanalysis, a sci-fi and fantasy TV podcast. In this episode, we are talking about episodes 218 through 222 of Supergirl. Talking about the whole episodes this time. <laughs> and not just Lena Luther. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And do you want to start, Chris? I thought we might start by saying if we had a favorite episode in this little batch. I know I did. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's Ace Reporter. Yeah, I know. And and maybe that, that sounds kind of well, duh, to people who've been listening because it's such a, a Lena Luther heavy episode. But I thought it was just a generally well put together episode. It was. Yeah, the that's sort of the thing. Like the whole plot hung together pretty well, I feel like. And I really liked how even though it was focused on Lena and gave us some of her backstory, and she got a pretty meaty storyline there, it was just as focused on Kara. Like, the A and the B plots really supported each other well, I thought. Yep. Which is something they have struggled with a bit this season. Mm, yep. While I, I think that Exodus was a better episode than Ace Reporter, I feel it, similarly, though, you know, Ace Reporter had, like, these really good, strong A-B storylines that hung together really well and just made for a good episode. And I think I think similarly, Ace Reporter had, like, a good villain of the week. I thought the, the nanobots were, like, a nice, creepy villain. Right. Something for Supergirl to punch, except she couldn't really punch it. And I feel like we have to mention Rahul Kohli in Ace Reporter, because I love him. He's pretty great. He's very enjoyable on iZombie, if anybody watches iZombie. Or I guess, rather, if you don't watch iZombie, that is the other show that he is a regular on. And uh, he's quite enjoyable on that. He's just so, like, handsome and charming, and I, I enjoy him a whole lot, both on, on iZombie and I enjoyed him a lot in this episode, too. Apparently, in an interview, Katie McGrath described him as being tall and delightful. <laughs> I can believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> and I thought he and, and Katie McGrath had a really good rapport. Like, it was believable to me that they were old friends slash, you know, old girl, girlfriend, boyfriend. Yeah, slash more. <laughs> I believed it. Like, they had a nice rapport with each other where they felt like they'd known each other a while. It was good. We should also mention, we kind of already did, but... uh a thing that worked for us in this batch of episodes, not just this one. Lena Luther, for more on our comments about how great Lena is, please listen to our Let's Talk Lena episodes. Yes, our Lena Luther episodes are episodes 33 through 37. In each of those, they are dedicated to just the Lena Luther content of episodes 218 through 222. And they are, are pretty full of innuendo. We feel kind of embarrassed about it now. Chris was probably embarrassed about it then. <laughs> oh, I was. I was, but it was like, eh, it's all in good fun. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed about it then, too, but I think you more so. Uh, probably. But they, That's just generally the case, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but they're pretty ridiculous and hopefully enjoyable and silly. So if you are into Lena Luther, especially if you're into Lena Luther and her non-canonical, non-canonical <laughs> love of Kara Danvers, those episodes are for you. So again, that's episodes 33 through 37 of this podcast. Non-canonical might not be the right word. <laughs> <laughs> not quite text, but almost. <laughs> Subtextual. Subtextual love. I mean... <laughs> There is love there, but the kind of love we're talking about is subtextual, or possibly non-canonical. <laughs> I am splitting hairs. Let me have this, Stephanie. Let okay. me have this. 
And that's not to say we won't mention Lena Luthor at all in this episode, but since we have dedicated- We cannot help ourselves. <laughs> it's true. But since we have dedicated so much time to her other places, we will not talk about her as much in this episode as we might otherwise. We'll try to restrain ourselves. So like our previous season two discussions, we're going to structure this. We're going to do what worked for us and then a section of what didn't work for us. And then finally, we're going to have a little section of questions that we have lingering at the end of the season. We kind of started already on what worked for us. We Luna Luther totally worked for us, <laughs> as well as Ace Reporter just generally worked for us. And getting back to that episode, I think another thing that made it work for me is I thought Monel was actually used well in that episode. I was going to say, shockingly, Monel <laughs> is in the category of things that worked for us in this episode because uh, yes. he was mostly as like the comedic sidekick, and I kind of like him as the comedic sidekick. He's a lot of fun as Kara's comedic sidekick. I liked when they were trying to sneak into Spherical's headquarters and he was, you know, oh, I brought a flashlight to be helpful. And she's like, dude, I have x-ray vision. Oh, that's a good point. You know, like he's he's fun when he's used in, in that way. Uh, but uh, the rest of these episodes, uh, not so much. So we'll, we'll give him this moment in H Reporter when we liked him and we thought he was used well. Right. Because, like, the whole bumbling doofus thing totally works in that context. And Chris Wood is very good at that stuff. Like, It's I, true. I, he's very good at that comedic stuff. I like the patter when they're doing that. Yeah. That's where I feel like they really have the most chemistry is in that kind of bantery. They don't dislike each other, but it's it's there's a, a little bit of antipathy maybe. But I feel like that's where they have the best chemistry between those two actors is in those moments where she's she's kind of treating him like an annoying little brother almost. Because <laughs> that's kind of what he is. Yeah. Besides Ace Reporter, probably – I won't say my second favorite episode of this section, but probably the other episode that worked the best for me of these five was City of Lost Children. I feel like we might be – I might be in the minority here, but I, I actually thought that episode worked pretty well for me. I liked it. I don't know that I liked it as much as you did, but I think I liked it more than a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I think the reason I I liked it so much is because we got James being the James that we loved in season one. I was going to say, that's probably the big thing is you and I really like James mm -hmm. and have been sad about how little James there has been this season and that they felt like they needed to change the context of James and like, why? All season, you and I have been like, why did they change it? James was such a great guy in season one. Mm -hmm. And so we get more of that guy in this episode, which was amazing. I loved it. And he actually got some gosh darn screen time. Gosh darn it. And I think probably the episode worked well for me is that when they started the whole Guardian storyline thing, I was willing to go along with the idea that this was maybe a place they were leading to where James would try to take on the mantle of a more typical hero, but then come around to the fact that he is just as heroic, if not more heroic, being himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really the angle they were playing the first season, so I couldn't figure out where they were going with it this season. Right. And I'm I'm left sort of questioning, which we'll get to, where they're going to go with like the Guardian storyline in the next season. But I, I did really like City of Lost Children. And for me personally, at least, I thought there was a couple of quietly affecting moments. In, in particular, that scene where he had gone to the alien woman's house trying to find her. And he finds her son, Marcus, instead. And at first he's scared of, of James. But then when he, t he 
kneels down and he takes his helmet off. I'm like getting emotional just thinking about it. You know, Marcus reaches out and he touches James's face. And that seriously wrecked me pretty hard. Yeah, I was also rather affected, apparently not as much as you, but I was affected by it. I, I thought that was a really solid moment, especially since the whole thing started off with, I mean, James in that guardian suit, it seems reasonable to me to be afraid of that. He's very sort mm-hmm. of militaristic looking, and he's got a voice changer. I mean, if if that guy just approaches you, I, I'd be scared. He doesn't have the openness and the bright colors of, like, the supers, you know? Right. It makes sense. And I think since you brought it up, like, one thing that I, I wish that the show had had more to say about, because I, I think if you're watching it, it's there and you can read into it. But I think there's something to be said more explicitly about the fact that the supers, who are these attractive white people, are able to be superheroes with their faces visible, very out in the open during the daytime. Whereas James, who is a black man, he has to cover his face almost completely, and he really does his thing under the darkness of night. I think there's something to be said about that. You Mm -hmm. know, somebody pointed out, like, of course he has to cover his face that much. Like, what if the police saw him, a black man, trying to help somebody in a dangerous situation? He could get shot. You know, it's very, very likely that he could get shot. So I kind of wish the show had been said something maybe more explicitly about that fact, the difference between the outfits these two different quote-unquote superheroes have to wear. Right. And they sort of a little bit touched on the race issue in this episode, but not as extensively as they could have and probably should have, you know? Mm. Yeah. Because the other moment that I I really liked, I I did really like the scene where Marcus was talking about how he and his mom had had to flee from other planets, but he was hoping it would be different on Earth. He was like, I liked it here. I hoped it would be different here. And James just has this look on his face. And it just, I, that was another moment. I was just like, oh, I, those two moments in particular just really, really got to me. Yeah. And there's also that great moment of Jean sort of mentoring James about mm-hmm. about this whole situation. <sighs> More Jean mentoring people. Yeah. And and that's another thing that I guess really made me appreciate this episode is it felt like our characters who are people of color got more forefronted than they had been all season in this episode. It's true. Maybe not all season, but since at least the beginning of the se- of uh, season two. And that made me happy. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. More, more Jean mentoring James. More Jean mentoring people generally. Though I do have to poke a little bit of fun of the, at this episode. I don't know that the resolution of this made much sense. <laughs> it didn't. Where James was trying to reach Marcus to try to, you know, get them to stop being controlled by whatever. How does that exactly change whatever it is Lena's machine did to the environment around them? I don't think it does. <laughs> don't you know that emotions are more powerful than science? <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> The strength of, of James's belief <laughs> is stronger than the anions. I wish that was true. Because <laughs> then maybe he could have he could have believed the Daxamites away. <laughs> if if that was the case, then I could have done it myself. <laughs> From here. Anyway. <laughs> so what's something that worked for you, Chris? About what? <laughs> These episodes, don't be such a smart. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sh- shall we talk about some of the, the Kara stuff? Because uh, yes. I have to lead. 
because I'm me, with, can we talk about Kara's fashion choices? Because that cardigan. <laughs> Chris has been lusting after Kara's crazy cardigan from 219. From Alex, yeah. That was maybe the best thing in that episode. Was that cardigan? <laughs> if anybody knows what cardigan that is, please let me know because I want one. <laughs> it was the cardigan she was wearing in the dinner scene, the awkward double date scene with the pizza and fighting that scene. Mm -hmm. Chris mm -hmm. loves that cardigan. Let us know if you know where she procured that cardigan. It is just so ridiculous. <laughs> but so like, like, yes, that is a cardigan Kara would wear. And I would also. <laughs> Kara just generally, I, I really like the way that they dress Kara. She gets good clothes. Yep. <sighs> now I'm like thinking of her in button down shirts and slacks and it's taking me to such a happy, happy place. And the belts, right? <laughs> oh, I do like it when she wears the, the contrasting belts, but mainly it's the, it's the button down and the slacks. She looks so good. <laughs> but I was, I was particularly appreciative of Kara's storyline in Resist, I think. Mm -hmm. because she was just being so her. Because, of course, she took the wrist and kind of threw caution to the wind and went to Lillian and Hank because she needed to save Lena and Monel from the Daxamite ship. And like, of course she guy. did. <laughs> but yes, like, of course she's going to do whatever she can to help them, because that's the priority, because that is what Kara's priorities are. They're saving people. But I do think that even though she took that risk in resist, they they reaffirm the fact that ultimately she does she does want the greater good because she was willing to sacrifice her relationship with Monel to save everybody, you know, in the finale. So even though it was like, yes, of course Kara would do this, she would try everything she could to try to save the person, okay, the people that she loved from the <laughs> Daxamites, she wouldn't take it so far to the point that everybody would have been affected poorly right. by her decision. And of course, even once she got them to safety, she was willing to stay and try and reason with Rhea, which I think we all knew wasn't going to work. But Kara wouldn't be Kara if she didn't try, right? Exactly. Which is why I love her so much. Mm -hmm. And I like that they didn't make her a dupe. I like that she anticipated that Lillian was not going to be on the up and up, and she had a, a safety net plan in place to get people off the ship in case Lillian did what she did. I, I like that about that whole episode is everybody's kind of like, okay, we're going to trust you far enough to, you know, work with you to get this far, but we're going to put these safeties in place because we know you're going to betray us. Curse your inevitable betrayal. Mm -hmm. Your obvious inevitable betrayal. This is less Kara specific and more a compliment to Melissa Benoist. Because in, in the goodbye scene between Kara and Manel, I was super happy Manel was leaving. Thrilled. Really? <laughs> Clapping my hands with glee. However, glee. I know I had to. Melissa Noyce made me feel bad for Kara. Like she was, I thought she did a really good job in that scene. And she made me so sad. And I don't want Kara to be sad. It's true. I mean, obviously, we're happy that Manel is getting thrown off of Earth into space. Delighted. But, I mean, I'm sad that Kara is sad. I was going to be anyway, because, as you say, Melissa Benoist just kind of, she has that thing about her where it's just, like, instant sympathy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I like you, and I want good things for you, Kara and Melissa Benoist. But that's but. also why I want Manel to leave, because I want good things for Kara. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I just don't get it, Kara. 
I don't understand. Yeah. But at the same time, though, I totally get why Kara once would see the best in people. And that's her thing. That's her thing. I, I, I kind of get it on to some extent. It's just that uh, literally every other person in her life is better than that guy. Yeah. So <laughs> You know? But Kara's great. She got some fun little little funny moments as well. I, I liked her her side to well herself <laughs> after Kat was making lis- lascivious remarks about Clark. I was going to say lusting after, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope Rhea kills me. <laughs> after the comment about big green eyes, I, I half expected her to be like, "What, my girlfriend?" <laughs> but uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> Not out loud, anyway. <laughs> did, did that not occur to you? No, it did. It did. Okay. Well, first I was thinking, I guess his eyes are gray, and those Superman's eyes really should be blue. But then I, I did think of Lena. It's true. Mm-hmm. It takes very little. <laughs> though speaking of Superman and his beautiful green eyes, I was super happy to have him back. I was super happy also. Because he's delightful. I mean, less delightful when he's punching Kara. Yeah. Like, there. There is a good supportive human being. Yes. He's a a good version of Superman. And I feel like both the actor and, I guess, the writers in this case, like, they they get that Superman's supposed to be supporting Kara in this show because it's her show. It's not his show. I love that, you know, he was here after, well, obviously he got manipulated into doing some other stuff. But once he was back to himself, like, he was there to give Kara, help Kara find the confidence that she needed to get the situation done and to just help her out wherever he could. He was willing to be one of the troops and fill in where he was needed. Yep. I like him. I like him a lot. Also, Kara, like, legit beat him in a fight, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Just saying. And I thought the exchange between Clark and Kara about Calix was pretty cute. It was. It was very cute. I feel like she does owe him another AI robot, but where is she going to get that? Oh, I know. Maybe her super smart girlfriend, Lena Luthor. <laughs> and if she needs any help, I'm sure Wynn will, will be happy to step in. That was also nice to see Lena and Wynn working on something again. They, they're they kind of fun together, I think. They are. More of that in season three, please. She's going to be a regular in season three. I know. And since we're, we're back to Lena Luthor again... Because I forgot to mention it earlier, we we did in our in our last Lena Luther episode, we mentioned that we were going to rewatch a particular moment where Lena brings up Monel to Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Do you have new thoughts about that moment uh, upon reflection? Not really. I, I've mostly seen it in gift form. I have to confess, I haven't rewatched the actual scene, but it's just it's all over Tumblr. So I can't quite tell because, you know, the gifts don't play at the regular speed. And so I'm like, it looks like she's giving her a really considering look. And I can't mm-hmm. tell what it means. If if that's how it plays out in, like, actual speed. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, the moment we're talking about is when Lena tells Supergirl, here we have this device that's going to release lead in the atmosphere and make the, make it unfriendly to Daxamites. However, it's going to affect all Daxamites, including Monel. And, you know, she mentions, you know, that Monel is Cara Danvers' boyfriend. And I agree. The look that she gives Supergirl is very considering. I, I don't know if 
Lena is necessarily implying, are you having an affair with Monel? Or is Monel having an affair with you? And do you know that he's actually dating Kara? Uh, but I'm not entirely sure how to read that moment between them. Right. And then it's like, well, is it is that deliberate? Are they trying to play this in an ambiguous way so that they have the options open to them next season? Right. Because mm-hmm. I have read interpretations that are like, is she testing her to see <laughs> like the the whole because she suspects that they're the same person or it, I mean like what's what's going on? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, it could be that she is is suspecting that Kara and Supergirl are the same person. She might suspect that Supergirl and Monel are having an affair or something after she saw the way they reacted when Supergirl showed up on the Daxamite ship to try to rescue them. Or, in my head, she's conveying her dislike for Monel with her eyes. Like, that is also a valid possibility. Because <laughs> she just doesn't look happy about talking about it. <laughs> or there's the thing that seems more likely that they meant it to be of, are you sure you want to do this? Because our mutual friend, Kara Danvers, is dating him. Fair. And yeah. she'll be mad at us if we make it so that he can't live here. She will be the only person sad about it. She looks it. angrier to me than that particular reading i know but but she loves her friend cara danvers so much she doesn't want her to be unhappy no i think it's fair but i i do understand why people maybe have been dissecting it the way that they have because she does look a little bit angrier or suspicious or something mm-hmm. than than that interpretation would necessarily require so we shall see and i also think i did want to mention because i don't think we mentioned it in our lena episodes when they did have that reunion between it was like Supergirl and Lillian and Hank and they run into Lena and Monel on the Daxamite ship. We felt like there was maybe a a moment missing in that reunion. It certainly feels like it to me. Yeah. Especially when Kara excuse me, when Supergirl unnecessarily mentioned that Kara Danvers sent her, it felt like Lena should have had more of a reaction to that. Like, oh good, Kara's safe. Since she knew that the Daxamites were going around shooting at people and things down on Earth. Yeah. Going back to Tumblr and Tumblr <laughs> gift sets, the reaction shot of Lena seems to be like blurry and over Monel's shoulder, where she looks really excited to see Supergirl. And that's kind of it. That's the only yeah. reaction we really get for Lena towards Supergirl. And I'm a little ba- a little bummed about it. Though, of course, I think we both understand why they focused more on Lena reacting to Lillian being there. Because she would be surprised that, oh my gosh, (laughs) you came. Yes. (laughs) I wasn't sure you liked me. Well, she still needs her her Luther blood for reasons, possibly. (sighs) And Lena's smart and useful. That too. So let's maybe talk a little bit about Lillian Luther since we're we're on there. I think generally Lillian Luther's really working for me on the show. Yes. And I like that they left the season with her sort of at large, which means she'll be back next season, I hope. Yeah, I hope so, too. I think Brenda Strong is great. And even though Lillian is clearly a villain, I still think she's very compelling. Like, I I still want to see more of her. Right. Because I think one of the things that they did really well is they framed her with a reason. Like, she's got a reason for the things she's doing. And I feel like it's not necessarily unreasonable for her to be concerned. You know what I mean? Like, she she's taken it way too far. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, I mean, if, if nothing else, the finale shows her worry about aliens invading the planet. Not unfounded. Right. Because, dude, it happened. <laughs> 
But I feel like that's a solid foundation for a villain, because you have to make them sympathetic to some extent. And I do feel like they've at least made it confusing enough for me, where I, I don't entirely know how she feels about Lena. I, I think f- at this point, I do believe she does have some love and affection for Lena. But I think I also very strongly feel that she's never going to stop manipulating Lena. Right. So I want Lena to stay away from her, but I also understand why Lena can't quite quit her either. Right. Because it's that same hope that Kara always has of, and and really, like, uh, Luke and Darth Vader, I, I can see good in you. <laughs> Sorry for the Star Wars reference. That's okay. But I thought that the storyline with Lillian and Lena working together on the the weapon to defeat the Daxamites was a good beat to include for them toward the end of the season. Because they are working toward the same goal, but they have Lena just very clearly draw that line. Like, you have not recruited me. I am not on your side. I do not trust you. Good for you, Lena. But I wish that that, that storyline had had like an ending scene. We just we just hear later on like, oh, Lillian took credit. But I, I feel like there should have been a little concluding moment between Lillian and Lena of some kind. Yeah. I also wish that they would have done that. Because yeah, that it, it was a little it was a small storyline, but it was its own storyline in the episode. And yeah, aside from Lena sort of showing up Lillian with the whole, no, no, I built in a safety and you can't do this without, you know, you don't get to make this decision, is what I'm trying to say. Because it feels like Lillian would have taken the opportunity to emphasize to Lena, like, oh, look, we work together. Maybe we're not so different. Maybe I can recruit you to my side. It feels like she would have taken that opportunity, but we don't see that on screen. Mm -hmm. So jumping to another mother figure that has manipulated Lena. (laughs) Why? Poor Lena. (laughs) Poor Lena. Oh, my gosh. But I think generally, I ended up really liking what they did with Rhea. Yeah, I thought it ended up being pretty solid. Because she's another person. You can see why she's doing some of the things she's doing. But also, some of the stuff she's doing is just like, no. Terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Which, again, makes for a solid villain. Although I still can't figure out why it was that she wanted Earth. I mean, I, I guess it was really just revenge at that point, right? Yeah. Well... For me, at least, when there was that reveal in the finale, when Kara managed to actually make Rhea bleed, because Krypton had exploded, her blood had been infused with kryptonite. That actually kind of made her character click with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, this hatred runs so deep. It is literally in your blood. I feel like I kind of got her in that moment. And I still thought she was terrible, uh, but I was kind of like, okay, I kind of understand why you are so mad at Carr in particular and why you would go to these lengths to get revenge. Makes more sense than being mad about Monel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so mean. <sighs> and I thought that her relationship that they that she built with Lena, even though it, it ended in tears and heartbreak and a tiny cape for Lena, it... it <laughs> I thought it was nice to see Lena get some significant interaction with another character. And I think we really got to see a nice side of Rhea. You know, before then, she'd just been a very imperial, cold figure. But I I liked that her mentoring Lena showed us a softer, warmer side of her. Right. And I'm glad they had it, too, because Terry Hatcher actually got to do some different stuff. She got to show her range better. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I actually thought that that scene where Rayo was talking Lena through how to solve her problem with the the thingy they were building. I forget what it was at this point. Portal? Was it a portal? A yeah, trans matter transmatter portal. portal yeah. <laughs> okay, there we go. There were so many like, fancy uh, electronic technical devices that I don't really know what they were <laughs> in, in the last few episodes. But when they're working on the portal and when Lena was struggling and Raya talked her through that whole process, hey, that's some good mentoring. Thanks, Raya. Yep. I know. Again, with the inevitable betrayal, but still, that was some solid, solid advice there. I'm actually kind of bummed that she died. Does that make me a bad person? Because I thought Rhea was terrible, but I wish she had gotten to just leave. Yeah, I I have so many questions because I'm pretty sure that didn't make any sense. Right? Because <laughs> all the other Daxamite guards got to beam back up to the ship. Why didn't Rhea get to do that? I don't know. She wasn't quick enough with the button to press or something. I don't know. And why did she turn to lead stone i don't know and and dissolve what was happening i don't know see above re making no sense so i wish she'd gotten to survive even though terrible definitely terrible especially with that whole potential baby thing i don't really understand the point of that whole marriage baby storyline i don't quite know why they included that but yeah i just i still wish Rhea could have lived i mean it seems like you don't need both right for whatever it was that she was trying to do why did she need them married if it was really just about the baby because she didn't even really need them for that she just needed their hair right also is that going to come back in a future episode and be a problem i hope not yeah but anyway getting back to what worked for us instead of what gave us questions (laughs) (laughs) it's all so intertwined stephanie i know i know (laughs) let's talk about cat uh cat she's back sort of i think (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i'm mostly pretty happy about it I am mostly pretty happy about it, too. I don't know how much I talked about it before, but I kind of have mixed feelings about Cat Grant. Because <laughs> I think she's a great character, and she says some great stuff, but she also says some stuff that I just kind of I side-eye her pretty hard about. Mm, yeah. But she definitely, when she shows up in Resist, there's just this burst of energy to the episode. And you think, ah, Cat is back. That is the difference here. And I honestly think her reactions to the reveal that President Marsden was an alien were some of the best moments of the entire season. <laughs> it was pretty great. Because Cat uh, <laughs> Grant in college is its own sort of interesting thought to have. But then Cat Grant in college with pot brownies, it's, a, it's like a whole new level of, uh, I don't know. And Cat Grant in college with pot brownies and an alien roommate. I don't know. <laughs> imagining that she saw et though i I was a little confused because linda carter's a good 10 years older i think than calista flockhart so i was a little confused why they were supposed to be in college at the same time but eh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't actually make sense i mean it's not that you have to go to college when you're 18 that's just when people typically go to college so maybe president marsden was a a non-traditionally aged student (laughs) that's yeah let's go with that but yeah, I liked the idea of, I thought it was the pot brownies, but it really was just E.T. <laughs> and and of course, her, her initial reaction of, oh, please tell me you're still a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, so I felt like those were some of the best, some of the best moments of the season, for sure. And I, and I thought Kat got two really solid mentoring scenes with Kara. And those are the last two. Those are always my favorite Kat Grant moments. Absolutely. And where I've really missed her this season. 
Because while Kara has had some good mentoring moments with Jean, they have a different dynamic than Kat and Kara. Mm-hmm. And similarly with Snapper, too. Absolutely. The dynamic between Kara and Snapper, different too, but also some good stuff between the two of them mentor-wise, but just not the same thing as Kat and, and Kara. And I, I agree. I think that's when Kat is used the best. Right. Also, can we talk about the fact that I was right and that Kat totally knew that Kara was Supergirl? You were right. Thank you. Though now I'm confused as to why she pretended not to know in Resist. Well, she doesn't know that Wynn knows. I guess, but he's. she does know that he's good friends with Kara. So you, you think that that's what it was? She was sort of putting up pretenses I think for... she's just sort of playing along. I guess I'm willing to go along with it, but it just is a little confusing to me as to why she pretended not to know and resist. Because I don't think the idea was that she figured it out between, like, resist and nevertheless she persisted. But I'll go with it. She was playing along for Wynn's sake or whomever. She does care, you know. <laughs> I know. About Kira. But, and I did like her calling out James as the guardian immediately. But after they did that, they're like, come on. She clearly has to know Kara is Supergirl if you're going to play that, writers. And she did. She did know. That was also another great moment of the season was her last line of, you know, go get him, Supergirl. And then it makes me emotional. <laughs> And let's take a moment to mention how awesome it was, how in the last, like, especially the last two episodes, how many women, how many actors, over female actors over the age of 50 were being featured in these episodes, and they weren't just, like, somebody's mom, or particularly a male character's mom, or <laughs> there to prop up some dude's storyline. Like, they were complex, interesting women in their own right, and they had their own stuff going on. Yes, because most of the characters are moms, like, established on the show as being moms, but, like, it wasn't about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're talking, obviously, about Calista Fockhart, Terry Hatcher, Brenda Strong, Linda Carter, obviously, Kat, Rhea, Lillian, all mothers, but that's not their only reason for existing in the Supergirl world. They have other stuff that they're doing and they're interested in and they're involved in. It's nice and I like it. Also, did you see the thing with, uh, apparently somebody talked to Melissa Benoist about it, or she she brought it up, actually, that one day all four of these women were on set, and she was, she was like, and I, and I just died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. That's not actually what she said, I don't think, but something like that. Speaking of awesome ladies, you know who came back in the finale? McGon! I'm just like, bring her back! Let her stay! Please let her stay. <laughs> I know. Oh, but she's alive. I think we suspected she would be. Yes. She helped Jean out of his coma thingy. Yes, and she found <laughs> others like her on Mars and brought them to come help Yay! with the invasion because she's amazing. Ah, oh, McGon. It sounds like she's supposed to be back in season three. So fingers crossed we get to keep her around for. As long as possible. Fingers and toes. I actually want to talk about something, too. It, it doesn't quite fit in the things we liked, or things that worked for us, or the things that didn't work for us, because it's both. But I have an issue. Go, okay. What is your issue? Okay. Because I was thinking about this the other day. This whole notion of, like, the reluctant hero. Because mm. I don't know if you remember this, there was at least one interview with the Supergirl producers where they were talking about Monel 
and how they wanted to do that story of him like learning to become a hero and all this sort of thing. And I've been seeing lots of commentary on Tumblr and whatnot about like, that's kind of not what we're seeing, but that is what we're seeing with Magan. And like, imagine how great it would have been if they had given that story, that position in the context of the show to Magan. Yeah, I agree. And it would have been amazing because that is actually what, what happened because I was thinking about this and really what we've got here is sort of like the reluctant hero versus the indifferent hero. Yeah. Hero in, in air quotes, if you will. Because like, mm. I don't know that the show knows the difference, even though they demonstrated it pretty clearly with, with Magan and Monel respectively. Like Magan is the reluctant hero, right? She's the person, she's been on earth for a while and she kind of didn't want to get involved. And then she did get involved, and then she's like, no, I have to do something now. I can't let this continue. The guilt is too great. Also, this is just, it's wrong. I feel it deep down. This is wrong. I need to do something about it. And then Monel, who they've been talking about, like he's some sort of, you know, hero or reluctant hero or whatever. He's reluctant, yes, but he's not a hero. At most, he's indifferent. Like, he just... He also has similar stuff going on on his planet with his people because they established pretty clearly that he comes from people who are are involved in slave trade. And he's like, eh, I don't support that, but I'm not going to do anything about it either. Also, I'm right. not going to step in when the woman I claim to love is being stabbed with like a shock stick thing. I'm just going to I'm just going to stand here and watch. And then he did a similar thing when Jean was being, I don't know what it was that Rhea had, the little thing that froze him and then put him into a coma. And, like, he just kind of stood there and, and paced around her. She had her arm outstretched. It would have been pretty easy to knock it out of her hand or, you know, do anything, which he did not do. It, it doesn't feel like reluctance to me. It just feels like he just doesn't care about anything except for himself and maybe Kara. So, anyway, I'm, I'm mad about that. <laughs> I think that's a really good point about Magan, that if she had been put at sort of the reluctant hero storyline, I think that would have made more sense. It would have actually been in a reluctant hero storyline rather than whatever it was we got with Madel. I remember specifically reading a quote from one of the producers where they were like, why don't you tell the story about, you know, becoming a hero? And so that's what we're doing with Monel this season. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it is. Other suggestions for who could have been in the pod besides Monel and it been a better storyline. People had suggested Marcus, the young alien boy from the City of Lost Children. I agree with that. It could have been, you know, he could have bonded with Kara over being an alien refugee. He could have bonded with James over having to exist as a black man on Earth. Could have been some good stuff with Marcus. And I like that actor a lot. I thought he was good. Yeah. Also, crypto or streaky, which they might not have gotten a meaty storyline the way Magan and Marcus would have, but I feel like they would have made Kara as happy, if not happier. <laughs> it's true. And it would have been cute. And it would have been cute. But speaking of, of pets, this is a weird transition, but I'm going somewhere. Okay. Let's talk about Alex and Maggie. I got really confused for a second and then I figured out where it was going. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Because <laughs> they're sweet, right? They're sweet. They are. They said that they loved each other. Alex Danvers and Maggie Sawyer, let's be specific, said that they loved each other. It's one of Stephanie's pet and peeves, in case you didn't know this. <laughs> Why? 
Why do they do that? Why, when people say I love you on television, they have to say the full name of their partner? I don't understand that. They want to make it clear who they're talking to, even though they're the only other person in the room. (laughs) Does that sound natural to you, Chris Cron? (laughs) You just said my name real weird. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Chris Kwan. There we go. (laughs) The the Q is in the last name. Oh, that's how I've been spelling it wrong. Thanks. <laughs> Just based on the pronunciation, I wasn't sure if you knew. <laughs> so Alex Danvers and Maggie Sawyer might get a dog named Gertrude. I hope that they get a do- go- do- god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stephanie. Oh, I hope that they get a dog and name it Gertrude. That would be adorable. But then Alex proposed? <laughs> Which was sweet. But makes me think, hang on a second, kids. How long have y'all been dating again? This seems a little fast. It does. At the same time, I'm not necessarily surprised that Alex would do that. I kind of feel like she might. (laughs) I just, like, from earlier this season, it seems like Alex is one of those people who, like, once she makes up her mind about something, she really makes it up. (laughs) Mm, She's just all in about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a reasonable thing to do. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily seem out of character to me. Yeah, that's fair. It still made the little break screechy sound in my head. Oh, sure. Because it just feels like they haven't been dating all that long. (laughs) Yeah, because I don't think they really have been. I'm not opposed to them getting married or or Alex proposing or anything. I just, because I am the practical person that I am, it made me think, wait a minute. I mean, there's still more build up to that marriage than there was to Lita and Monel's, so... Fair. And they didn't actually get married. Whew. I know, but the, the marriage, like the, the pardon me, wedding, the wedding ceremony was happening. You get my point, though. They didn't get a whole lot of screen time, Alex and Maggie, in the two finale episodes, uh, but I, I thought them breaking into the DEO together was pretty cute. That was adorable. And the whole, oh, our relationship has come full circle. Yeah. Aww. And and Maggie got a, a great entrance. I liked the, oh, I have an agent working with me who I really trust. Boom! There drops Maggie down from the ceiling. <laughs> yep. So I'm rooting for them. I want them to be happy. They do seem very happy together. And they're supportive of one another. It does seem like a healthy relationship, doesn't it? It does. Isn't it, it nice does. when you see those on TV? <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like there wasn't a ton of Kara and Alex stuff in these last five episodes, but they still had some good moments. Especially the please be faster than me mm-hmm. moment and hug. And I was like, oh, they love each other. I mean, anytime Kara and Alex are hugging, you know, I'm happy about it. I know. And I feel like I have to briefly mention, I really liked the like action stunt sequences in Resist with Kara catching both Kat and Alex after Alex left the DEO in the most elaborate way possible. <laughs> oh, Alex. She's so extra. Uh, she is. That was some good stunt work. Go Kyler Lee. Yep. And I guess finally, a good transition, though we've mentioned it already, into what didn't work for us. The last thing that really worked for us was sending Manel into space. Please stay there. Please. We know he's probably not, but we can at least enjoy the hiatus now. It's true. It's true. It's like, oh, I can breathe a sigh of relief now that I don't have to worry about what havoc he's causing during the hiatus. Ship him off in a pod into the Phantom Zone. Stay there possibly forever, please. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I know it's probably not going to happen, but come on. So what didn't work for us, Chris? 
<laughs> so, Monel in any episode that wasn't Ace Reporter. I don't know if you picked up on this, but we don't like that guy. Yeah, we've we've talked about it quite a bit already. But like when I was going back through and I was sort of like remembering what he did in all these episodes, it's just like this idea that he's supposed to be a hero and yet he consistently just bails on or wants to bail at least on any tough situation is I just can't buy it. Like he kept leaving Kara to deal with all of this business with his own mother. Or he stands I there just, and he makes pointless comments and doesn't do anything. Yeah. Oh, I knew she'd be fine. Yeah, no thanks to you, <laughs> Mr. As something as somewhat of a superhero myself, or whatever he said. It feels like the writers think he's turned into a hero by the end of the season, but at the same time, the way that they're writing him clearly demonstrates that he hasn't. So I don't I just don't know what to think. I don't either. Yeah, like I don't know what to think the writers think quite. Yeah. I it just I'm not gonna praise him for doing the absolute bare minimum. Of like not being a terrible person. Yeah, I'm not giving you I'm not giving you a pat on the back for that, dude. No, step aside, sir. Literally every other person in her life is better than her. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, other things that uh, didn't work for us. Most of the episode, Alex. Yeah, again, I feel like we are in the minority here, maybe, but I did not care for that episode, really. No. Again, like, Alex and Maggie got some cute stuff in there, and uh, the cardigan was in it, so I can't totally hate it. (laughs) But just any episode where you're altering established characterizations of our main characters to suit the plot that the writers decide they want to tell that week, I'm just, I'm not there for that. I'm... Not good with it, because I felt like both Maggie and Kara were acting in ways we hadn't seen them act before. I felt like there were some valid points brought up, but not brought up in a way that makes any sense to me. I mean, I can understand Maggie perhaps taking some issue with Supergirl, like, swooping in to basically do her job. But, I don't know, the way it came up, and really the fact that Kara did that at the beginning of the episode, like that, it doesn't make sense because we have seen Kara interact with criminals before. And that's not, I mean, it's the way she's been doing it this season, but it's not what they established in the first season. And it upsets me. Well, and they put her on the side of like, oh, I'm going to use my powers and get this done quickly. That's going to be better. But even this season, they reinforce that Kara is perfectly comfortable handling situations, even when she doesn't have powers. You know, back in in Supergirl Lives, where she they were stranded on the planet and she didn't have her abilities because it was a red sun planet. Like she was still able to be a hero, even though she couldn't hit things. Mm-hmm. So this idea that oh she's always going to favor this method didn't feel genuine. Right. The idea that she'd go all like lone wolf didn't feel genuine because yeah. even though Kara's a hothead, she works well with people. Right. She's not She's not unreasonable. No. So it feels like Kara needed to have her hothead impulsive moment because it's Alex. Al- Maggie needed to have her hothead impulsive moment because it's Alex. And I think that is in line with what we've seen of Maggie's character, too, that she'll do impulsive, reckless things for Alex. Right. But I feel like the majority of the episode should have been them working together. Right. It felt like this yeah. episode was structured wrong, is really what it yeah. is. Because... The way they structured it, it's like Kara keeps doing dumb hothead things and Maggie's like telling her that it's a bad idea. And then at the end, they reverse positions and then work together. And like at the very end. (laughs) Right. And I just kept wondering, like, why did they not talk to this guy before? This makes no sense. 
This seems yeah. like the most obvious thing to do to me. <laughs> I feel like if they were going to tell this story, they should have done basically what you just said and have Kara do something stupid and Maggie talk her down. Maybe have Maggie do something stupid, Kara talk her down, and then and then them be, sit down and say, okay, what is a more rational thing that we can work together on to get this problem solved? Like, that's how you should structure it. Yeah. Because the idea of them needing to work through what does it mean that we both love Alex, that's a good place to start from because we've heard Kara express difficulties in sharing Alex with Maggie. I was going to say, yeah. It doesn't feel like they actually resolved (laughs) or changed anything about that in the course of that episode to me. Nope. There was, again, lip service paid to it at the end, but I'm like, that's not what we saw happen. Yeah, But yeah, I, I think even better than what I said before is if they'd had them both do something reckless and stupid at the same time, because mm-hmm. of course, neither one of them is going to wait. Right. <laughs> and then maybe even have their respective plans work against each other, unintentionally, mind you. Right. And then be like, you know what, this is a bad idea. And I don't know why we each thought that this was a thing that we should do because El Mayara, stronger together. Yes. Which they finally said in the last episode, and I was just like, where's it been all season, you guys? But luckily, I thought Alex was awesome in Alex. It's true. It's true. I should have included that in the list of things earlier. Alex was also really good. Yeah, Alex was awesome in Alex. We should have mentioned that earlier. I mean, I I just, I love the fact that consistently, you know, something bad happens to Alex, her loved ones are all panicked and worried, and Alex just seems annoyed. She's like, I had other plans. (laughs) <laughs> this has messed up my day. <laughs> Kara's probably still mad about the thing with Maggie, and I need to fix it. <laughs> I need to get out of here so I can do that. But it really, you know, it showcased her her toughness and her, her ingenuity and really so many things that we love about Alex. So Alex really did serve Alex, the character, well. I, I just wish she was in it more. <laughs> it's true. There was surprisingly little of her in an episode that was named after her. Yeah. <laughs> If only Kara had followed the wire sooner, Chris. <laughs> I feel like I have to explain this now. So <laughs> when Kara goes and follows the signal that Wynne had found to try and find Alex, and she breaks into that warehouse and rips the door off the thing, and it's it's just the timer, and they go to commercial, and my dad's all, well, she needs to do something. I'm like, Dad, she she literally did something, and that's how she got there. <laughs> she made it worse by doing something. Exactly, like that's what happened. And and also, what would you have her do? And my dad says, "Well, she needs to follow the wires or something." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, first of all, <laughs> what year do you think this is? <laughs> Second of all, they did the modern equivalent of that, and that's how she got there and made it worse. <laughs> So really, I don't know. I don't know what my dad was thinking. It's entirely possible that he'd just fallen asleep and woke up at that point. <laughs> he does that sometimes. He'll wake up at points and then make exclamations about how people should do something differently. And I'm like, no, that's literally what they just did. <laughs> I do like the idea of only of if only Kara had followed the wire. Because <laughs> I think they might have actually used the same set for where Alex actually was. <laughs> So it's quite possible Alex was just, you know, 20 feet over from the fake place. <laughs> she's just in the next building. Yeah, she's just in the next building. She, Kara just needed to follow those wires. <laughs> you really should have hidden him better. <laughs> 
So yeah, since then, Stephanie's just been periodically like, follow the wires. (laughs) And I regretted telling her that story. (laughs) Another little something besides Alex that I liked about Alex, I was very happy to see that Jean gave Alex and Maggie his like patented double space dad hug, where he hugs both of them at the same time. It's like, aw, Jean approves. More space family stuff. Yes. And I'd like to note, he never hugged Monel and Cara that way. So <laughs> All he did was send them to, to Pam, the HR lady, as he should have. But more Jean, please. Absolutely. More Jean. And more more hugs. Always more hugs. I was, I was looking at a gift set earlier with, with Jean as space dad. And the first gift was him saying, you know, any man would be proud to call you his daughter's. And, like, I started crying. <laughs> Aww. Like, more of this. <laughs> Make me cry more, show. I'm not weeping enough. <laughs> <laughs> My face is so dry. <laughs> Why? You know, they do make moisturizers, Chris. <laughs> I do moisturize. I just... <laughs> <laughs> you want it to be damp as well. <laughs> My face should just be covered in tears by the end of the episode, <laughs> like it was during the end of the first season. I remember you talked about having your, your weekly crying appointment with Supergirl. It's true. I did. So make Chris cry more. Also, no more tiny capes. Those are our demands. <laughs> and, and by tiny capes, she means mono. <laughs> I will accept actual tiny capes if it means we don't have to put up with mono anymore. I try not to be so hateful in the podcast, but he's just so terrible. I know. I I also do not like being this negative, but honestly, this is just how I feel. And again, like, the fact that they displaced James, and it feels kind of like they displaced Magan also in favor of mon Stupid, stupid mon I'm just I like I'm I'm deeply offended by it. Yeah, I think that's the line. It's it's crossed from just over from just that you made a choice I don't care for into this is offensive to me, the fact that you moved aside these characters to favor this guy. Yep. Cause why? So we do feel a little guilty about being so negative about Monel. However, it, I I I can't really apologize for my feelings. I just really am annoyed with, with what happened with them. There are a lot of choices I just find really questionable, and they just kind of revolve around that guy. So I feel like there was a couple of things that were kind of, whoa, Nelly, this is upsetting that we need to mention here. I'm going to mention first that scene between Wynn and Lyra in... Yeah. I don't remember which one it was. Oh, it was an ace reporter. And Lyra was working with James and Wynn, and then... She didn't do a particularly good job. She was too aggressive. And Wynn was trying to basically say, you can't be part of the team anymore. And Lyra gets really angry and breaks things and yells at Wynn. That whole incident gets swept under the rug like nothing happened. Especially since the whole point was that she was being too violent. Yeah. And then, Because that is, it feels like, again, like what happened between Kara and Monel back in, I think it was Mr. Mix's Piddleck episode, it's like there's this kind of abusive behavior going on between two romantic partners, and it doesn't get addressed as not being okay, really. I'm very frustrated with the writers this season. Yeah. The other element of that scene that I found very troubling was the way that they wrote 
the line, Lyra starts to call James something, but then she stops herself and doesn't actually say it. And when I was watching, I really had this reaction like, oh my god, was she going to call him a racial epithet? I don't think that's what the writers were going for. But then if she wasn't going to call him that, was she going to call him, you know, that human? Which is, I mean, that is essentially the intergalactic equivalent of a racial epithet, kind of. And she's dating Wynne, who is a human. So the fact that that just didn't get addressed at all was very troubling to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I thought that that scene was going to lead to Wynne realizing that he shouldn't be dating Lyra, there was, she wasn't a good match for him. But no, the episode ended with them smooching. Yeah, her being let back on the team and the smooching. Yeah. Which, again, is a recurring thing this season. Talking about Mono. (laughs) (sighs) And then the other kind of, whoa, hang on, moment was uh, having to do with Kat. Yeah. Some of her lines, I just... And it's always been this way with Kat for me. I feel like the writers think they're being cute and clever, but some of the stuff she says just makes me cringe. Cause, cause no, no cat. And it would be one thing if I felt like that was, and maybe it is, like maybe that's just part of her character. Cause I can see somebody like Kat being like that and saying those things, but they never get called out as being a thing that you probably shouldn't say. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to have a character who says not okay things if it's clear that it's not okay that that person is saying it. But I don't think they make it clear that some of the things, at least, that Kat says are not okay. Yeah, it feels like the writers think, like, oh, she she just says outrageous, hilarious things. And I'm just, I'm sitting there cringing. Yeah, And the, I, the line in particular that really caused that reaction for me. And this, the last two episodes she was in was when she was on the plane with President Marsden. And she has that line about how, oh, you know, we don't need to measure anything. We're women. It's rather, it's at best cis-centric and at worst transphobic. And I just don't think the writers really got that. Mm-hmm. Just, just don't. So that's why we're kind of like, yes, we, we like, we like what Kat can bring to the show, but sometimes she makes us cringe. <laughs> yep. So since I'm ragging on the writers a lot in this section, I actually have in, in the notes, just the writer's failure to take advantage of so many opportunities they had this season. Specifically, one of the things they've done a lot, I don't know how intentional this is, but they have shuffled aside the characters that are played by people of color. And I don't know yeah. why. I, I don't either. I, you know, we've mentioned before, we really love the dynamic between Alex and Kara and Jean. Uh, he had a very diminished role this season. Especially since the, the relationship between Alex and Jean especially was so important in season one. And they barely had any yeah. scenes together this season. And that whole family dynamic between the three of them, it, it was still there, but it was much less central than it was in, in the first season, mm-hmm. for sure. And they brought in Sharon Leal as as Megan and then sent her away and then brought her back for a hot second at the end. <sighs> and and Makad Brooks as James was barely used this season, which makes me really upset. Yep. Especially since, again, James is such a great guy. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with some some people who worked at a comic shop earlier this week, and we were talking about how great James was, because one of them hadn't seen the second season of Supergirl and was, like, asking for my opinion. <laughs> and he's like, is is James great? Because, ah, uh, James. And I'm like, 
I'm afraid the season is going to disappoint you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's especially frustrating in regards to James for me because, you know, they brought in Monel and just shoved James aside and brought in Monel as a love interest for Kara. And then they also, with, you know, Kat left, and instead of maybe shifting James into Kat's role in Kara's life, at least, or somewhat into Kat's role in Kara's life, they brought in Snapper to kind of replace Cat in that regard. So even though James like literally was occupying Cat's office, they never let him do anything in that capacity. No. And I think that could have been some good stuff for James and Car. Like if they had disagreements from between, you know, James who's now like Car's boss essentially and Car as a reporter, like that could have been some some good stuff. You know, have James kind of mentor Kara into becoming a reporter. I think that could have been some good material for them, uh, but they didn't use him in that role at all, really. Yeah, I think there was like a scene or maybe two where that was the dynamic, but that was it. It bothers me a lot. In this last episode, Kara's talking about how Monel is like the first love that she's had and all this sort of thing. And I am mad about it because disrespectful to James. So disrespectful. Even with the context of this first episode where they're trying to sort of undo the thing that they spent the entire first season setting up, I still feel like she genuinely loved James and James genuinely loved her back. Because again, they spent the entire first season setting that up. And it just, why, why are the writers trying to act like none of that happened? It's gross. I can kind of understand her comment about how he being Monel was apparently the first person she loved because it, they uh, had a relationship in a way that she and James never got to because the writers ripped it away. But the fact that she even says, like, he was the first person I liked. Oh, the first person I loved. That just feels, it feels like it's unnecessarily erasing James from Kara's romantic past. Mm-hmm. Plus, then there's that, that scene... I guess it's still that scene, right? Where she's talking to Kat and naming off her friends who are paired up with other people and how she's all alone. She's the only one who's all alone. Also leaving out James. Like, why are the writers continually trying to erase James? Mm. Right? Yep. Yeah, she doesn't mention James. She also doesn't mention Lena. But we're talking about James. (laughs) And yeah, I I don't understand why that is. It's Stop pushing James aside, writers. I just, I don't get it. I don't either. He's he's such a good, he feels like such a good antidote to so many of the male characters that are on TV. And it makes me very sad that he has been pushed aside this season. For one of the dudes who's like all the rest of those dudes on TV. It's gross and I don't I don't want them to keep doing it. Yeah. Give us back complex, sensitive, wonderful, caring James, please. He's a good guy. And he he listens to her when they talk. Very disappointing the way that several of the characters were used this season. I also think Alex wasn't used enough this season, but we want to especially point out because they inserted a white guy <laughs> into the middle of the show that it's it's very troubling to us that they really shuffled aside the characters played by people of color in this season. And honest to goodness, they didn't need him. I don't know. No. I don't know why they decided to do that. It makes no sense to me. Cuz especially since the first season seemed so 
strongly like that is a thing we are not going to do and then second season like we're on cw now we have to do it or something (laughs) i don't know i don't know what happened i'm mad about it i don't know either can you tell yeah yeah we're 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 a little cheesed off a little But let's move on to some, just a few questions that are kind of lingering, moving from season two into season three. This one is a leftover question, but I feel like we need to bring it up. In in A's Reporter, there's that scene where Kara's in the car explosion, and the fire conveniently burns away the, her shirt just over the crest of the, the House of L, you know. And you mentioned that is apparently a reference to a Superman comic. I don't know. That was the thing that I saw, or at least the thing I saw made me think that. Mm. I don't know anymore. Although it does seem like that is a thing I have seen fairly frequently. It's sort of like a Superman trope kind of thing with the exposed crest. Question I have is, why did they bother having that happen if nothing came of it? Yeah. Why didn't they not use that to reveal Kara's identity to anybody? That seemed weird to me. It's like they were supposed to be having a secret meeting. It wouldn't be out of the question to maybe have somebody spying on the guy that she was secretly meeting with. So that one was more just a, okay, why do that? But no follow through. Uh, the, the rest of the questions are more of a, what's going to happen next season? So they made, did the reveal about how somebody else made it off of Krypton. Do you have thoughts, Chris, as to who that is? I have not researched thoroughly enough yet, so no, not really. The only thing that I could come up with in some light Googling was a character named Lor Zod, who was the son of General Zod and Ursa, and Hmm. he got sent to Earth and was found, I believe Clark and Lois found him as more of a child, and they adopt him and raise him as their son, Chris Kent, Christopher Kent. And then he becomes, his superhero name is Nightwing. But not that Nightwing. Different Nightwing. <laughs> not the not the Dick Grayson Nightwing. Different mm. Nightwing. Okay, well, here's the thing about Nightwing. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Nightwing is actually part of Kryptonian mythology. Ah, okay, good to know. Yeah, which is where Dick Grayson got the name. So that's my, that's my guess. It could maybe be Lorzod. I've seen speculation about it possibly being like Apocalypse or something, but I don't know. The only other thing I can think of that kind of survived Krypton, but I don't think it would it, it would have left the the Earth in that way, would be like Doomsday. I think I meant Doomsday when I said Apocalypse. But there are all these characters that have similar names, and frankly, I get them confused. Like, if, if I see them, I can tell you who is who. So those are our two guesses. Potentially Lorzod, potentially Doomsday. We'll see. Could be somebody else entirely that they just make up a new character. Yeah, it seems likely that it's somebody from Superman mythology. I agree. Our other question is, or at least my question, is having to do with Alex's proposal. Because even though it went unanswered, it seemed pretty clear to me that Maggie was not inclined to say no. Yeah, I agree. At least not like a solid no. Like maybe a, maybe later. (laughs) (laughs) After we've dated for another few months. And given what was... No, I can absolutely see you're see you're doing that. And now that we've had this announcement that Floriana Lima isn't going to be a series regular next season, what is that exactly going to mean for Alex and Maggie's relationship? Especially since that you know Alex did this whole proposal thing. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect it'll have to do with 
Floriana's availability. Right. Because that's part of the thing about being a series regular is that means that that show has dibs on you, basically, Mm -hmm. if you've got work on another show. I read a thing, apparently, the original plan for Supergirl was that they were going to have Katie McGraw be the regular, but apparently Slasher still had dibs on her because they weren't sure if they were going to get renewed or not. So they couldn't actually make her a series regular on this. So they made her a recurring and then upgraded Floriana Lima to regular. So she apparently wasn't supposed to be a series regular this season. So I don't know. So it might mean they actually use her better if they have her for fewer episodes. It could be. That's sort of my hope, but I'm trying to not get my hopes up. Yeah. It does leave a question mark, though, as to, okay, but if Alice just proposed, but she won't necessarily be a regular, what does that mean they're going to do with their relationship? Hmm. I'm just saying, Kenny McGraw, as a recurring character, to me, was used more effectively this season than they used Floriana Lima, for the most part. I agree. So maybe they'll just have to, you know, write her scenes smarter next season. Yeah. I'm also wondering how much Kat is going to be around. Yeah, that felt pretty open-ended to me, because she does say something about being back. So I don't know. And they had her attempting to move into the tatters that is Catco, <laughs> and sort of reestablishing her office as her office. But mm-hmm. it's also quite possible they could write another exit for her at the beginning of next season. Right. I'm hoping that she'll be back next season, and also hoping she'll be back more next season than she was this season, but I I doubt she'd be a regular like she was in the first season. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that. If she was around more in season three, but not as much as she was in season one, I'd be okay with that. But I... Me too. I would like for her to be back more, for sure. Maybe even, like, once every three or four episodes. Yeah. Could be fun. Mm Mm-hmm. My last question is, what exactly is the status of James as the Guardian? Because he was helping out with this, like, big crisis situation in the last two episodes, but I'm wondering if he'll still be, like, a vigilante in season three, because he seemed to be having some questions about that in City of Lost Children. Right. We were talking about this before, like, I really wanted them to wrap this storyline up way faster than they did, and maybe get James to the point of realizing he didn't need to do that to be heroic. Right. So, I don't know. Because it did feel a lot like he was reconsidering it. Mm-hmm. But they kind of never landed anywhere with it, so... Right. Agreed. Let's get into the listener feedback. Chris! Chris! K-R-I-S! Did you send in feedback? Oddly enough, I did not. <laughs> and this feedback is particularly about resist... And Chris sent it in in kind of bullet point form, so it's going to be a little awkward for us to read, but we're going to do our best. (laughs) So first point, Lillian isn't wrong about the alien apocalypse. It's true. Lillian had a point. Yes. Hmm. We all pretty much guessed why Lillian didn't tell Lena about Kara. Did we? I'm confused about this one. Why didn't she? (laughs) Because she wants Lena to be really mad. Is Is that what Chris is referring to? I guess so. Okay. I don't know. We'll go with that. Chris continues, that Air Force One cat grant scene made me cringe so hard. Us too. Parts of it anyway, yeah. That cat grant advice segment was actually well written. Uh, this is probably my favorite bullet point. Lena ain't got no time for Manel. Same. Same. Maybe this was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was curious. 
No, no, because then it would have been like, I ain't got no time for mono. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, Chris says, Daxamites, the stormtroopers of the DC universe, can't hit targets, their super advanced armor doesn't stop bullets, and their elite soldiers can't take on a guy with a black belt. Yeah. This is part of the issue, right? Like, why invade Earth where the primary weapon used by law enforcement involves the thing that you are weakest to? Yeah, the idea of the Daxamites being a big threat to Earth is kind of silly since their weakness is lead, a fairly common element on Earth. You know, the supers have their weakness, obviously, but it's not like anybody can just get their hands on some kryptonite. However, Mm -hmm. lead, not that difficult to get a hold of. And again, it's the thing our weapons are made of. (laughs) Well, and I mean, not all bullets are made of lead, but some are. So it's not like we even have to create new, fancy, different weapons in order to go after these invaders. We could use the same weapons. Just make sure you use lead bullets and you're good to go. The Daxamites are not particularly intimidating, in my opinion. No. We also got a message from Kathy. Kathy says, thanks for your Lena-centric podcasts. I've enjoyed the fangirling and silliness. Thanks, Kathy. As for this run of the last episodes, on the whole, I think the season ended strongly. The return of the stupendous Cat Grant reminded me how much I'd missed her one-liners. I also think they course-corrected a bit over Monel. The way he dominated some episodes mid-season was almost unbearable. Mr. Mix's Pitlick, the return of Jeremiah, all about Monel. Grr. However, in the last four or five episodes, he was comic relief slash arm candy for Kara, while other characters who'd barely got a look in were seen a bit more. Of course, Lena and her almost equally awesome but evil mother Lillian could have done with more screen time, but they, along with Terry Hatcher and Linda Carter, gave us so many awesome women to cheer or boo and hiss at. With the news of Floriana Lima's reduced role next year, will both Kara and Alex be heartbroken in season three? Maybe we'll get more Danvers sisters and Kara taking comfort from her best friend, who she loves. I hadn't considered that idea that maybe... I don't want Maggie and Alex to break up, and I don't think that's necessarily where they're headed with Floriana Lima being a not you know, not being a regular next season. However, if that does happen, I'm all for the Danvers sisters bonding over their heartbreak. <laughs> that sounds cruel, but also it would be better than this season where they kinda didn't talk too much after a while. What was that nonsense of them not hugging in the episode Alex? You were very upset by that. That was a bunch of nonsense, and I'm still mad about it. <laughs> but here's hoping with Lena around, Kara will not be heartbroken for too long. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. I know, it's not going to happen. But I can dream. And we will. And, <laughs> and dream and dream. <laughs> Finally, we got some feedback from Mia. I really enjoy listening to this podcast, and I adore how unabashedly you guys are about Kara and Lena's relationship. Thanks, Mia. My question is, when did you catch feelings for Supercorp? For me, it had to be Welcome to Earth, and it was the moment Lena delivered her do-tell line on that beloved couch, and everything about that scene from the moment Kara walked into Lena's office. The feels! Now, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the scene where Lena's in the green shirt, and she does the thing where she puts her elbow on the back her of the arm? couch. Yes, her her patented hitting on ladies move. And by her, I mean Katie McGraw, because she does that in dates, too, I believe. I'm just, I'm a little obsessed with that gif. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm like, this is blatant flirting. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> the body language. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely by then, if not before. I honestly can't quite remember 
when I caught feelings for Supercorp. It's it's as if there was never a time before Supercorp in our hearts. It was the dark time in our hearts before Supercorp. <laughs> Especially for <laughs> Stephanie, who who has much darkness in her heart. It's true. I'm teasing. I'm teasing, everybody. <laughs> My shriveled little walnut of a heart has expanded <laughs> slightly to make room for Supercorp. She was like the Grinch... <laughs> I know in the f- when she showed up in the first episode, I kind of thought, hmm? <laughs> but I can't, I don't remember quite exactly when I thought, oh, this is, she's, she is just flirting with her. <laughs> I feel pretty confident in this. <laughs> but yeah, I can't remember exactly. Can you remember, Chris? I really can't. Cause I, I remember having that thought at some point, like they're kind of putting her in a Lois Lane position, but I can't remember. I think I thought that specifically upon rewatch. Mm. So I'm not super sure. But yeah, I'm it, certainly by the time she's doing the thing on the couch and I'm just going, kind of like, hang on. <laughs> this body language is so flirtatious. And also she looked really good in that scene. She did look really good in that scene. Do you prefer her with her hair down, Chris? I think I do. I mean, it's good all the time anyway. I was just trying to remind myself of the order of the episodes. Welcome to Earth was episode three, so it might have been around that episode. I know I wasn't entirely sure about it in episode one. Like, I thought there was a frisson there well, sure. in episode one, but I wasn't entirely sure if it was just me or if that was just a fleeting thing or what was happening. So, but I can't really remember all their interactions in, in episode two. I, I I know they had a couple, but... Yeah, so it might have been episode three as well, but I, I'm having trouble remembering exact moment, unfortunately. I should add, like, I was already excited about this just because, like, I, I liked Katie McGrath from before. So it's like, yeah, she's going to be on the show. And then, then it's, you know, you're watching and you're like, what is happening? I don't know what's happening, but I like it. <laughs> it's all the flirty face going on. So thank you to everybody who sent in that feedback. It is much appreciated and glad to hear at least two of you enjoyed our ridiculous Lena-focused episode. So ooh, here's hoping there's going to be more Lena in season three. I feel like there's going to be more Lena fangirling from the two of us in season three as well. Really? <laughs> I think it's I think it's likely. Unless they recast her last minute, which why would they do how, that? How that would be ridiculous. You? How dare I even suggest it? I'm mad at myself. <laughs> we would love to hear your thoughts about this season of Supergirl. These episodes are just the whole season in general. Or anything about it, really. You can send those to us a number of ways. You can email us at feedback at askgenretv.com. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. You can call us and leave a voice message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can also contact us on Twitter at AskGenreTV. Analysis is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts about Orphan Black and Killjoys, which are going to have new episodes soon, yay, as well as some other shows over at AskGenreTV.com. Thanks for listening.